live from the mist and shrouded mountaintop fortress that is X and Y Communications Headquarters. You're listening to the world famous Mountaintop Podcast. And now, here's your host, Scott McKay. Hey, all right. Well, here we are again with another episode of the world famous Mountaintop Podcast. With me today is a new friend of mine. He calls himself the Angry Therapist. He hails from Los Angeles, California. His name is John Kim. And uh, I first learned about this guy when I just stumbled across one of his articles called Is Dating a Dead, which I believe was in the Medium. And I uh, went ahead and shared it with you guys who are in my Facebook group, the Mountaintop Summit. And uh, you guys just really loved it. So I figured, what's the next thing to do? Get this guy on the show, right? So without any further ado, John Kim from Los Angeles. How's it going, man? It's going well. Thank you, Scott. I really appreciate it. It is uh, scorching in Los Angeles. Heat wave. what I heard. Yeah, I was listening to, uh, I think, the uh, baseball scores on the radio the other night. It was like a buck six in Anaheim or something. Yeah, you could fry an egg on the sidewalk. It's been nuts. Wow. Well, you poor guys out there coming from San Antonio. <laughs> First world problems, right? Yeah, I know exactly. Well, it's good to have you, man. I love your approach to things. I've done some research on you. I have to admit that uh, I know a little bit less about you or a lot less about you even than some of the other guests, many of whom I've known for years before I even have them on. But you call yourself the angry therapist. And one of your taglines is so catchy and brilliant that I actually titled this episode with that tagline, and it is self-help in a shot glass. Now, listen, I know a bunch of guys, we have a hard time coming to grips with the fact that we need some help in some areas. We want to never ask for directions. We want to do things our own way. We want to be lone rangers and maybe not even have friends, which we've talked about on this show before. So along comes a guy like you, John, with this tagline, self-help in a shot glass, which immediately sounds a lot more appealing to just about anybody masculine. So can you explain for us what that even means? Yeah, it comes from um, me going to therapy school, learning dense theories, and knowing that if I'm going to help people, I have to, what I call John Kimmett, I got to uh, you know, put it through my filter and simplify things. And if I don't simplify things, I will not understand. So I just started to put everything into a shot class. You know? I think that uh, self-betterment and wellness can get very complicated, um, especially psychology. And I think today, especially with uh, you know, the, the uh, attention spans that you know, all the millennials have, um, you, you really have to simplify things or they're on to the next. And so I've trained myself to uh, put everything into a shot glass so I understand it, but also that the, you know, it comes down to street level for the people that um, are listening to me or reading me. Well, see, I was hoping for a couple hits of maybe Maker's Mark before we talked. <laughs> no um, such luck no, in California, I, uh, I, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Regulations. So you're talking about simplifying things for guys, and I think we really like that because all this mumbo-jumbo and all this psychobabble therapy speak I think is really a turnoff, especially for a lot of men. We just sure. don't tune in very well to that. So when a guy comes to you and he's saying, man, you know what? My life's a mess. I need to get this turned around. Uh, what's your approach to a guy like that? How do, how do you begin? Um, I, I, you know, I pull back and just uh, look at the, the, the big chunks of his life, which is usually going to be work, uh, you know, work career, relationships and family. And then, you know, asking him what is making him stuck, uh, preventing him from accomplishing his goals or, you know, uh, his potential or where he wants to go. 
and and put it in uh, you know in a way that's just digestible and that isn't you know just processing but actual execution i think it's easy to uh, read self-help books and you know the growth is 50% ideas and revelations and the other 50% is execution and if you don't execute all you're going to do is have ideas you know yeah i completely understand and i think that's uh, absolutely right on point for a lot of guys out there is it mostly guys you work with or do you work with women too uh, it's interesting because since since I've been blogging for the last ten years, um, people would think that mostly um, men follow me because you know I, I ride motorcycles and and CrossFit and tattoos and stuff. But um, actually, it's mostly women. Well, women <laughs> and, dig motorcycles and CrossFit and tattoos, as far as I know. yeah, no, well, I, I absolutely. But I, I think it's because <laughs> when I started this, um, I was coming off a divorce. And I decided to pull the curtain back, and I started to practice transparency. I decided to be vulnerable. I told the world that, uh, listen, I'm a therapist, but I'm also hurting and broken and going through my own shit. How can I help you? And I think that's what kind of caught um, some, you know, some some people's ears because now here's a guy who's who's being vulnerable. And I think there's a lot of power in being vulnerable. Um, and just because you're a man uh, doesn't mean that you can't uh, show yourself in that way. Now, see, that's interesting as a therapist that you would be willing to be vulnerable and share your personal life like that. In many ways, I came about this the same way. I went through a really rough divorce, really got steamrolled by it, and that in turn fueled my desire to want other people to avoid that sort of thing and right. have a great relationship like I now share with my wife. But you know, in the therapy world, it's kind of seen as this mental health gig where you're supposed to kind of be aloof and just sort of listen to – your clients and your patients, if you will. Yeah, and I think that's what made it kind of controversial for me is um, it's not that I was, you know, a, a, a mechanic or a fitness coach, but I was actually a therapist, and a therapist um, doesn't usually reveal a lot about him or herself. You know, therapists are very neutral, and when you ask them personal questions, they will deflect them back to you. Um, that's how we're trained. I decided to go the other way <laughs> and uh, document my story, um, posting it out on uh, the internet, social media, and um, I think that's kind of the new temperature, though. You know, I think people are more interested in who you are than the letters after your name. Well, it's more of the coaching model, frankly. Right, right, and that's definitely exploded with the uh, commercialization of wellness and everyone um, interested in, in bettering their, themselves. So first of all, what kind of guy comes to you? Let's talk about the men who would come to a guy like you, John, and want some self-help in a shot glass. Describe what they're going through. Yeah, I've kind of uh, – I think the universe has kind of uh, put me into a Trojan horse. Um, <laughs> I, I, I live you – know, there's nothing – I don't live in any kind of false way. I never try to pretend like someone I'm not. You know, I'm a jeans and T-shirt guy um, that loves motorcycles and likes to sweat and likes tattoos. Uh, I'm not some kind of Ivy League, you know, Harvard graduate. I, I've never had good grades. Um, so the guys that I think come to me are, are the guys that can relate to uh, like the average John or the average Joe. And um, what I mean by Trojan horse is uh, the guys that are interested in buying self-help books or reading self-help. Um, I kind of come in talking their language and then, you know, of course, we start talking about vulnerability and love and stuff eventually. So I, I you know, I come in that way, <laughs> not on purpose, but that's just that's just who I am, and that's just that's kind of what's what's been happening. Well, it's authentic. You're being true to yourself by being that guy. Yeah, I'm not trying to play a trick, you know. Yeah. So you've talked about vulnerability several times now. That is a huge buzzword, you know, with uh, books like the one from Brene Brown taking the center spotlight nowadays. 
Yes, uh, Brene Brown opened the uh, the whole lid off of, of vulnerability because she's the science behind it. And in that amazing TED Talk, she proved that there's um, power in, in being vulnerable. And I think now people, especially men, are finally being okay with it. And I know that you know our, our parents and older generation, um, being vulnerable is a sign of weakness, or that's how they defined it. Right. Um, I made a whole career off vulnerability of being vulnerable from my very first post ever uh, 10 years ago was called my fucking feelings and i just <laughs> wrote about my feelings not to be confused with how you are in bed right right not, not, <laughs> right. not literally well, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> depends on Perhaps. the day. depends on the context i guess yeah but vulnerability is really a tricky word for a lot of guys even now with how much attention and how much notoriety the whole concept's been getting in the mainstream you know, cause you're right. Guys think of it as weakness. You think like, okay, a vulnerable guy is like a possum trying to cross the street. You're about to become roadkill. Right. It's right. weakness. I mean, and yeah, that possum or a turtle, if you will, <laughs> crossing the highway is rather vulnerable to oblivion, you know, but also a guy who decides to grab a pair and walk up to that woman and he doesn't know whether he's going to get a harsh rejection or whether she's going to like him or what's going to happen. Right. He's allowing himself to be vulnerable in a way few other guys even are willing to. I mean, 95% of the guys out there won't even go approach a woman. And indeed, a lot of women don't realize the vulnerability that's involved for a guy to even go introduce himself to her. They think all the other guys just aren't interested or don't like her when really they're just too damn scared. Yeah. So that vulnerability is involving, well, it, it, it's involving harnessing a lot of power inside of you to get over some fear and to say, okay, well, you know, this may go well, it may not go so well, but I'm going to do it anyway, damn it, because that's what men do. We look into the fear and we, we meet it with courage and we, we go after it. Right now, as we are recording this, they're rescuing some soccer player kids from a cave in Thailand. And everybody who was involved in that daring rescue has volunteered to be there and more guys are volunteering to be there, even though they know how vulnerable they are going in there to try to rescue those kids. I mean, at the time we're recording this, one guy's already tragically passed away because his air and his tank ran out prematurely. And yet guys are signing up to be vulnerable in the name of being the hero to those children. And that's kind of along the lines, I think of what most men are really looking for in their meaning and in their existence. And it's indeed the power to be vulnerable in the name of harnessing fear and turning that into courage, right? Absolutely. And if you're not vulnerable, you're not really able to show yourself. So when people walk with the veneer, they walk with uh, a shield, um, they're posturing, they're being a version of themselves uh, that necessarily, that isn't necessarily authentic. And by doing so, you're actually being a, um, lukewarm you're 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 not um at your potential so i really believe that our superpower lives in our vulnerability and if you have which of course is it takes courage to get there but when you're able to show yourself in an authentic way uh, i think that's where stars line up man i think that's where opportunities happen i think that's where like you were just talking about the guy at the bar getting the girl um it's in there where where the uh your your, your beauty as a human being lives you know it's in your vulnerability because if not, you're living outside in instead of inside out, right? So you're chasing instead of attracting. Yeah, you know, the more people try to be some caricature of what they think society wants them to be, the more people start appearing generic to each other. 
Yeah. There's no individuality in there because all the vulnerability has to be quashed in the name of fitting in. And yet when we do that and we're not authentic, what do we end up doing? We end up kind of turning away or even alienating the very people we would connect with the most. And that's where what I talk about in terms of being connectable comes in. I mean, there are these traits that we all look for in each other, you know, honesty, optimism, and the list goes on that most of us really do want from each other. But whether we're a tattooed motorcycle guy or an emo poet guy or the jock football player guy, I mean, that authentic person is going to connect more with, you know, a certain social group and certainly a certain type of woman who can be our best friend and our lover forever if we just right. are vulnerable enough to risk being authentic and seeing who aligns with us, just like you said. I think that's a wonderful concept, and I think so many people have become almost immune to it, if not flat-out blind to it, the power of it at least, you know? Yeah, and, and uh, you know, when, when you're vulnerable, you're doing life with someone. When you're not vulnerable, you're doing life around someone. So it's almost like your 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 magnet gets flipped, you know. And so if you want to produce the kind of glue that uh, creates authentic relationships, whether it's friendships or romantic relationships or even with family, um, there's no other option other than to be vulnerable and show yourself. And and of course that takes tons of courage. But you know it's a great time because, uh, and this is one of the reasons why um, my book is coming out is uh, I think men are actually ready for this kind of com- these kind of conversations. Yeah, that book has a provocative title, doesn't it? Yes, it's uh, it's called I Used to Be a Miserable Fuck, A Man's Guide to a Meaningful Life. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think a lot of guys can resonate with that. Yeah, and I'll be honest, you know, when my publisher told me about the title and they wanted to go with it, I had resistance because I was embarrassed. And I was like, oh, I can't tell people I used to be miserable because when you say that you were down or miserable or in a dark place, it's lined with shame and guilt. And so then I thought to myself, well, then that's why I have to put that as my title because that's me being vulnerable. I can't preach vulnerability and then hide behind some kind of commercial title, you know. Well, miserable is also one of those multi-purpose words. I mean, you know, if I drink a whole bottle of Zinfandel before I go to sleep, I better not say Zinfandel because people think I'm thinking the pink stuff. (laughs) If I drink a whole bottle of red wine before I go to sleep, I will be miserable in the morning. Sure. Yeah, that's temporary. If my life feels like it's not purpose-driven and I'm underachieving and I'm not getting those things that I deserve, and that's not only a consistent state of my life, but it's also a habit that I've formed, then I'm going to be miserable over the long term. So which are you talking about, one or both? No, I'm talking about the latter. I'm talking about um, being miserable where you feel grayed out and purposeless and unfulfilled and you know depressed. Uh, so I crossed my great divide from boy to man after my divorce. Um, I was very miserable and unha- unhappy and angry. And today, um, I am not. You know, I mean, I don't have perfect days. I'm human. Um, but overall, I'm happy. I've got a sense of purpose and I've done a lot of work on myself. And uh, this book basically documents that journey. Well, first of all, I'm glad I can still guzzle a bottle of Pinot Noir and we can still be friends. That's a good <laughs> news right there. Transparency. Yeah, man. But I I like that because, man, so many guys are getting so many mixed messages about what it even means to be a man. Yeah. And then they're kowtowing to this angry crowd who wants us to be less masculine, who is pronouncing everything that we do to be toxic, things we talk about in this show all the time. But 
the angle that you're bringing to this show that I'm really fascinated by is finding that individuality. Who the hell are you in the midst of having a masculine presence and finding your purpose? Uh, what do you do to help guys really tune in to who they are and, and what unique gifts and individuality they can bring in the world and indeed how to be vulnerable with it? Yeah, I think um, a lot of us and men and women uh, disconnect with ourselves. So life happens. We have to pay taxes. Uh, we have to you know, take care of siblings. There are things that happen in life that create us to take parts of ourselves and, and stuff them into a hope chest. And I think self-betterment is sometimes more about a reunion than anything else. So it's going back and connecting, opening that hope chest, connecting with parts of yourself that you used to love, you know, and then in that connection, uh, there's potency and there's transparency and there's that wholeness. I think that a lot of men live in parts, right? We are uh, chasing the corner office, the picket fence, you know, all these shoulds and, and trying to live a life matching old blueprints, maybe passed down from our parents or that we keep in our back pocket that are no longer honest to us. I think when we connect back to our authentic self, what is truthful to us today, that's when we can start getting on a path of uh, a meaningful life, you know, a path toward happy. I think that's a very intuitive observation because a lot of us, as we mature, as we get swallowed up by life and those expectations and we start shooting on ourselves, as some have said, <laughs> our priorities start out optimistic and idealistic perhaps in our youth full of hopes and dreams, and we just get beaten down into doing what society expected us to do right. anyway. Right. How do we go back and remember those things that we really thought were important and that we really wanted to do that we somehow just let get silenced and start incorporating them into our lives again? I mean, can we have a hybrid life where we meet our responsibilities and go on some of these adventures and conquests or whatever? Or how do you actually structure that? What's your motivation yeah, for giving uh, that back to guys? I have a tattoo on my forearm that that represents the hero's journey. I think every man needs to go through one. And, you know, it's the, it's the whole Joseph Campbell thing, call to adventure, slaying dragons and coming back to the village, changed with new stories, you know. And um, I think everyone everyone um, has to go through their own hero's journey. And I think in that journey, you're going to find that connection. Uh, for me, uh, one of the reasons why I ride a motorcycle or and do CrossFit is because, you know, the happiest time of my life was when I was around 10 to 12 on the little Honda scream, uh, a scooter and uh, breakdancing. And it doesn't mean now as a 45-year-old man to, to, you know, start breakdancing again, but it means to tap into that spirit of John Kim when he was 12 and reconnect with him. And so I do I do that through things like CrossFit and, the you know, the the adrenaline I get from riding on my bike and, and my motorcycle and, and other activities. But that connection, I think that is the gold. That's also where you are um, the most unique and different because everyone has a unique and different story, you know. Wow, that's really cool. You got me thinking about so many things just in that little burst of conversation there. Mm. First of all, you're a 45-year-old guy and you said, you know, maybe no more breakdancing again. At my age, if I did some breakdancing, I think it'd be more like broken dancing. <laughs> yeah, <I'm almost> exactly. <laughs> but what I really started thinking about is this whole idea of reaching back into your past and what really made you happy when you were younger and in a yeah. more innocent frame of mind. Right. And – you were riding around on motorcycles, and I was too. Another thing I did when I was a kid that these guys know is I raced BMX competitively. Right. Oh, wow. And now my children, my two youngest, are six and ten years old, and they're both national-level BMX racers. 
And mm. I don't have anything left to prove in the sport myself, but I get great pride from taking them out there and reconnecting with the sport sure, and enabling them and watching them succeed. It's not so much a, like, you know, parents get accused of living vicariously through their kids' accomplishments. It's almost right. like I'm handing it over to the next generation. I'm passing yeah, the Yeah, passing the baton. Yeah, and I think a lot of parents who, you know, start yelling at their kids to paddle, paddle, paddle and are so – dead set on their kid winning and yelling at them when they lose and stuff. I think they're the ones who may be living vicariously because of their own failures in life sure. or, or for whatever reason. But I really can relate to what you're saying because I'm thrilled to get back into this sport again and connect mm -hmm. with it. Not because I'm interested in going out there and playing in the dirt, although I do practice out there on the track sometimes with my little daughter, especially because she loves when I go out there. But I just think it's really, really cool to watch my own kids from my own gene pool enjoy the same sport I did. And I think once you have kids, you start passing expectations along to kids, kind of like expectations have been thrust upon us. You need to go to the right school. You need to get the right grades. Well, what about helping those kids, you know, your own offspring, find their hopes and dreams? And if there's something different than what you did, find a way to connect with that. But in some glorious times, the kids actually decide that they're interested in what that bicycle thing is hanging in the garage, and they want to try it themselves. And the next thing you know, they really are your kids. They're not the the mailman's right. kids, you know. They're actually right, from right. your gene pool. It's kind of proof. and it's it's the feeling that it produces in that environment. So for you getting back into that environment, it, it doesn't mean you getting on a bicycle, a BMX right. bike, but it means your kids doing it. Um, but the feeling that it produces in you, in a way, is connecting you to that, uh, to your truth and the past and how you know the feeling that you had when you were racing as a child, and so. There's a connection there. There's a reunion there. So it doesn't necessarily mean that you, you know, have to get back on on a bicycle. Um, but it means that you you're doing it in an honest way that that relates to your life today as a father. Yeah, and I think it can be also, of course, exactly as you said, a very direct connection. In my life, I joined the 18 and over lacrosse league when I was 41 years old, mm, and I hadn't awesome. played in 22 years. And boy, right. did I feel alive every time I got out there and traded shoulder pads with those guys. You just you just nailed it, and the word that hit me uh, is alive. So, what makes you feel alive? That is a great sign that there is that connection. Most people live life um, not they don't do things that make them feel alive. They do things that you know uh, create a paycheck or security or you know because their wife or parents want them to do something. Um, there are very few people in this world that put feeling alive at the top and really kind of design a life um, that hangs on that, you know? Not in our nice, safe, you know, Western culture, we don't. I mean, the Maasai do it every day of their lives. Well, I mean, well, because in our culture, feeling alive means taking risk. It means yeah. you need courage. It means, you know, living on the edge. It means doing things that other people uh, don't think you should do and, and, and not being logical. There's an old country preacher of all people named Bruce W. Thielman who's otherwise rather obscure, but he has a quote that's one of my favorite of all time to describe those people we're talking about who basically sit around on the couch and watch it all on TV. He mm -hmm. calls them the legions of the unjazzed. Mm. And I just think that <laughs> captures it. We are living in a world full of legions of the unjazzed. People sure. get on Twitter and basically let the media tell them what they think about everything, especially politics, and go look for someone to pick a fight with 
literally because they don't have anything better to do or right. anything of their own to believe in. Now, I may get hate mail for saying that, but I think I pretty much just nailed it. Yeah, it makes them feel important, you know? Yes. Yeah. Gives people with no purpose something that feels purposeful and right. usually ends up in an angry wad of vitriol because that's what's underpinning the whole effort. Yeah. That lack of feeling a purpose and that desperation to go find something that's creating purpose. Um, people I know who are really living purpose driven lives are not sitting around on Twitter all day arguing with each other about Donald Trump. They're just not doing it. <laughs> right. Exactly. They don't even know what's going on. No, because they're focused on their true north and they're out there doing everything they, they can. I mean, not that it's easy, but they're, they're out there building whatever, you know, they're building to make them feel more alive. Right. Yeah. One of the things that should come with accomplishments and reaching some goals in your life as you age, as you mature, as you gain skill in living life in the form of wisdom, that should afford you more opportunities to live your dream and to feel more alive, not take them away from you. Right. And a lot of times people will argue, well, you know what, McKay, you're married, you've got children. Well, you know, you're thoroughly tied down now. Well, pox on that. I mean, I've gone on more adventures and crossed off more items off my bucket list, as a lot of these guys already know, since I've been married to Emily and since we've had the two youngest kids than I ever did before that happened. I love because that. Because that was a choice. I mean, we built our lifestyle in a way that helped us evolve into a lifestyle of adventure and taking our kids all over the world and flying in hot air balloons and doing the plank road in the sky and you know, going on African safaris and getting charged by rhinoceroses, not with the six-year-old, but and when I had that <laughs> happen. I'm um, going to North Korea when everybody said, you better not do that. You wow. know, we did all of that. That's amazing. And that's that makes you feel alive. You feel alive when you're out doing something that is outside of your comfort zone and brings all of your emotions to the surface instead of just kind of tamping them down and pretending they're not there. Right. And that brings us full circle, doesn't it, to the whole need for therapists to begin with. So many people just aren't in touch with who they are and why they're feeling the way they are and what it is that has caused them to hide all of this under a bushel their entire life till they're miserable. Absolutely. Here you are taking them out, as I've read about you. You're taking them out on hikes. You're taking them out into the world. And this whole idea of taking those people who feel like, man, I need a therapist. I'm I'm completely broken here. And getting them back in touch with life is is pretty much your gig, isn't it? And yet nobody on earth is doing this. They're still sitting around in four walls trying to figure it all out. Yeah. You know, I feel like if we're going to talk about life, let's do life while we're talking. Boom. I love it. I think it's amazing. Thank you. Yeah, it really is. It's um something that you would think would be a no-brainer for guys because what else could it be? You're sitting around doing nothing and you're miserable. Wouldn't that necessarily point to maybe if I did something and did something different, I would stop being so miserable? Yeah. But yet people just keep waking up tomorrow doing the same thing they did the day before. The next thing you know, they hit retirement age and they're handed a gold watch, assuming they still have a job. We're creatures of habit, and yeah. when the habit is a uh, negative loop that just uh, grays us out, unfortunately, we turn to zombies, and that's most of the world. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. And guys, you know what? Speaking of no-brainers and speaking of habits that we let ourselves get into, I bet you, if you're like me, most of you guys listening to this show, within the sound of my voice, have been reserving rental cars the exact same way 
since you were old enough to reserve your first rental car. Remember that? Yeah. <laughs> yes. You used to have to be 25 to reserve a rental car. Right. You know, after 21, which is the age of, you know, being able to drink and stuff, that's really the last age you get to look forward to is the age where you can rent a car. Yep. But anyway, we've been doing it the same way. We get on one of the main company's sites and we see what their rates are. Then we get on another company's site and see what those rates are. If we're lucky, we go to one of the sites that aggregates it a little bit, but we're still kind of fending for ourselves. Well, a little while back, some folks who I've already introduced you to on previous shows from Autoslash got a hold of me and said, hey, you know what, McKay, we know you travel. <laughs> we know you're renting cars out there. You got to try this. And if you like it, See if it's something you want to tell your podcast audience about. And so I said, all right, well, you know what? I'm a little skeptical. There's so many apps out there and everything's got a gimmick tied to it, right? But I went to the autoslash.com site. And what do you know? It's a little bit different than I expected. It pleasantly surprised me. What I did was I set up a rental car reservation, picked my city, the dates I was going to arrive, what time I was going to pick up, what time I was going to drop off. Enter that information into the system, and boom, the system went and did all the heavy lifting for me. 15, 20 minutes later, I got an email. Mr. McKay, here's your best deal. I was like, wow. Not only did it give me my best deal, it showed me all the deals it was better than. It proved it. It put my money where their mouth was, literally. So according to the instructions the good folks from Autoslash had given me, I went back to their site, and I entered all my information into their tracking tool. And over the course of the next couple of weeks, they started sending me more emails. Hey, you know what, Mr. McKay, you've got a better deal now than the one we originally set up for you. You might want to cancel that other one and, and go with this one. They're basically working as my personal travel agents dedicated to my rental car deal of the century every time I log onto their site and tell them where I want to rent a car and where I'm going to be, et cetera, et cetera. You can even enter all your associations in there, like AAA, USAA, whatever you're a member of. You can enter your frequent flyer information in there. They'll take all of that into consideration and give you your all-around best deal. They have a whole algorithm around it. This is so powerful that more and more guys – World travelers, business travelers, adventure travelers are all taking advantage of this, and I want you to go give it a try, too. It's over at www.autoslash.com, and uh, give it a try, guys. Like I said, it's a no-brainer, and it's time to break those old habits of scheduling car rentals. Give it a try, guys, autoslash.com. Anyway, we're back to what we were talking about, and you know, having thought about this a little bit more, John, I think it's time to discuss what some of the biggest concerns guys come to you with because it takes a lot for a guy to come to a therapist at all. Even a guy who's more on our wavelength like you are and a guy who does things a little bit differently. What are some of the patterns you see in guys these days? Um, it's usually relationship based. They come to me when um, their marriage or their you know, girlfriend or you know, something is basically about to break or expire. And it's usually um, a lots of uh, reacting instead of re responding. It's a lot of um, trying to be understood before trying to uh, understand. It's a lot of um, warped definition of what it looks like to be a man. Um, all of that stuff. And I think uh, going back to this idea of being vulnerable and, um, you know, looking back at uh, why you're wired the way you're wired and maybe um, – 
holding on to uh, maybe you're holding on to old definitions um, that aren't even yours really and you're pulling from those and that that produces a certain type of behavior all of that stuff creates a, what I call a crack container um, not a safe space and when you don't have a safe space it's very hard for people to uh, build trust and a sustaining relationship so a lot of guys come to me and I help them build brand new containers uh, a life space so they could uh, build on something that's that's meaningful instead of sand so there are so many different metaphors there. Yeah. Uh, their container is cracked. So everything holding their life is broken and we need to replace that with not something that's a box, not a container in the sense that we're going to remain boxed in, but just kind of a different paradigm of looking at it, right? Yeah. Uh, we're going to build that with authenticity. We're going to build that with truth. We're going to build that with meaning. We're going to build that with you know a lot of things that uh, are going to point you toward your potential and who you should be and where you should go instead of um, – maybe things that you built that were just kind of shiny or superficial. Yeah. And that's what you mean by that foundation of sinking sand. It's right. not really a foundation at all. It's just, it's a mirage. Yeah. It's a mirage. We're being blown and tossed by what people are telling us we should do instead of living that hero's journey on our own and deciding our own purpose. I love right. it. So kind of in closing here, John, man, as an angry therapist, you really don't sound all that angry. No, I used to be. <laughs> Not <laughs> Back anymore. Back when things were miserable, but you kind yeah, of yeah. But the, uh, the happy therapist isn't as interesting. Yeah, right. No, neither is the laid back therapist. That's right, every right. therapist, right? <laughs> right. You know, lie on the couch. If you'd be the laid back right. therapist, that would be kind of a pattern interrupt too much, I guess, for the normal mind to really assimilate. So yeah, um, you don't sound very angry at all. I'm sure, um, given the right motorcycle, you could get angry again, but. Uh, Hopefully, that's not the case. I mean, I've had some motorcycles make me really angry in life. And not when I'm riding them either. Well, sometimes when I'm riding them. That's a different show. But I would love for you to give these guys a few steps to follow. Something really practical to take with them in case they're starting to feel like, hey, you know what? You know what John and Scott are talking about here is kind of resonating a little bit too close to home. Mm -hmm. I'm feeling like maybe some of those things that I really enjoyed, I forgot about it. Some of the things I dreamed about, I just let kind of evaporate. And here sure. I am living that life and I'm starting to fall in that little miserable trap. What are the first things I should do? Uh, number one, I would say you got to be honest with yourself. Uh, nothing is built without truth. So if you are in denial, um, you got to look at your own shit, be honest with where you're at. Um, number two, pull from your solid self instead of your pseudo self, meaning uh, what is authentic to you? What is your truth? What makes you feel alive like we we're talking about? You know, running toward that reunion with parts of yourself that you've ignored or locked into a hope chest. And then I would say number three, uh, never exchange truth for membership. So instead of seeking approval and validation from family, friends, maybe your partner, whatever, um, stand on your truth. And you know what? You may end up losing some people in your life. When you shake that tree and you start to um, do what is honest to you, uh, friends might not like that, but that's the only way you're going to build yourself a safe container and grow and thrive. We do that, don't we? Because yeah, we men, do it because of the world we live in. Men don't really build strong, personal, vulnerable relationships with other guys. We really just gather based on our common interest in motorcycles yeah and you know i just i just posted about this on instagram i think that a mandate is a mandate in that we need to have more mandates and it's not just about the activity it's about the connection and conversations you have uh, during that activity so if, so so if scott you and i if we decided to go you know ride our ride some uh, motorcycles we would also have some 
um, authentic conversations and some and share some of our story and be vulnerable. And that's what produces um, two men sharpening each other and uh, growing together, et cetera. So, yeah, I'm all about mandates. Yeah, because you kind of mentioned the opposite there. You know, guys kind of just uh, they end up just falling into a crowd, not even knowing why they're there anymore. OK, this was an interesting hobby for a while. But now I guess these are my friends, even though I don't even know these dudes just because we're all supposed to be going fishing together sometimes or whatever. That's a huge, yeah. huge issue for men. Yeah. And what ends up happening is because we're all kind of falling into that trap nowadays in this culture, we think it's normative. We think that's the way friendship really works. And that's probably why guys don't have as many friends. A hundred percent. That's not how friendships work. We're, we're tribal creatures. We're meant to grow and learn through each other. And back in the day when we were hunting animals and stuff, we did it in groups and tribes. Today, we're stuck in cubicles and living a life, you know, um, that is very isolated and lonely. And that's why men um, have a huge um, rate of depression and also uh, suicide. It's a shining example of how millions of people can be wrong. Yes. When we've all been led down the same primrose path. Amazing, amazing stuff. Well, I want to give you guys a chance to go learn more about John Kim, the angry therapist, and you can do so by going to his website, which I've set up as a special URL, as I always do, which is www.mountaintoppodcast.com front slash angry, A-N-G-R-Y. That sounds like a good one. I know for sure we haven't used that one before. So when you go to www.mountaintoppodcast.com front slash angry, you'll get all of John's incredible content, many, many blogs, lots of tips. It's all there for you for free. And if you are in the LA area and decide you need uh, an angry therapist who isn't so angry anymore and thinks out of the box, like one John Kim does, I'm sure he would love to meet you. Uh, John, thank you so much, man. This has been a great show. I, I You're a good dude, man. I like you, man. Thanks, man. I appreciate that, Scott. And uh, thank you for having me and helping me create this dialogue. Uh, it's super important. And uh Thanks for uh, doing this for also just being a megaphone for other people. Yeah, man. You know, not enough guys out there are really seeing it as part of their life purpose to help other men kind of shed this vicious cycle of toxic masculinity. And, yeah. and and good guys are being caught into that vortex of thinking they're toxic when really we're just trying to be that hero sure. on that journey. So, yeah, I appreciate you too, man. Thanks again. All right. Be well. Yeah, and guys, if you're not on my newsletter yet, go to www.mountaintoppodcast.com and get you some. Every day I'm going to give you some golden nuggets on how to get better with women in your relationships. If you're single and don't have a girlfriend yet, that's one of the things we specialize in around here is helping you get the woman of your dreams into your life. Also, I've started a brand new coaching program that's called Focus. And this is for you guys who want some structure to a coaching program. It's still one-on-one -on -one with me personally, but we're going to cover eight areas of getting better with women and your relationships that all guys seem to really struggle with. And that is a fixed program. We'll have a call every two weeks and the price is right. And you will get your main sticking points taken care of in that program. If you want to learn more about that, Go ahead and email me at scott, S-C-O-T, at deservewhatyouwant.com or uh, catch up with me by signing up for a 25-minute consultation at mountaintoppodcast.com. That's brand new for you guys and kind of gives some of you guys who want more structure to your coaching program than say a 10 plus typically gives uh, the kind of format you're looking for. And until I talk to you again real soon, this is Scott McKay from XMY Communications in San Antonio, Texas. Be good out there.
the Mountaintop Podcast is copyright 2016 by X and Y Communications. All rights reserved worldwide. Be sure to visit www.mountaintoppodcast.com for show notes. And while you're there, sign up for the X and Y Communications newsletter. This is Ed Roy Odom speaking for the Mountaintop Podcast. Podcast.